Welcome to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa, a podcast that gets under the skin of well-known names that we think we know. We'll explore their different cultures and heritage to discover what home really means to them and how they find that feeling of belonging. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to reveal four key elements that help define for them that unique sense of home, with a range of fun, fascinating, and sometimes moving results. Those four elements are a person, a place, a phrase, and a plate. So for me, it's not technically a plate, but one would be a specific drink, and it's called Super Malt. It's really, really such an encapsulation of my youth, my childhood. It's this kind of sweet, malty, biscuity drink that you drink kind of ice cold. And that was just the taste of parties, of celebrations. But what would those elements be for today's special guest? I fell in love with Weatherspoons when I discovered Steak Club. And I even took my parents when they came visiting. And I kid you not, Jimmy, they loved it so much that my dad tried to steal one of the menus and he tried to put it in my mom's purse so he could take it back and show his friends. Today's guest is a stand-up comedian, a writer and actor. You may know her from TV shows like Mock the Week or on the big screen acting in films such as Marvel's all-star Spider-Man Far From Home. Born in Sweden to Chinese parents, she is a self-confessed Anglophile who apparently loves Greggs and Weatherspoons, but we're going to find out if that is absolutely true. And she now spends much of her time living and working in the UK. I'm really, really happy to have her here. Evelyn Mock, welcome. Hi, Jimmy. That was my grand intro. I liked it. Yeah? Oh, I'm glad. (laughs) I'm really glad. I really like the fact that you got Weatherspoons and Greggs. Nobody's ever been able to to identify that. And, uh... Is it true? Is it absolutely true? Because we're going to absolutely, we will lift the lid on that. Oh, definitely Weatherspoons. I have a few stories about Weatherspoons, one of which is how I got gout for the first time. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what a teaser. I can't wait to find out the rest of that story. Where are you right now? It's good to kind of situate uh, our guests and where we're speaking to each other from, particularly when we're thinking about place. I'm in my hometown. I, I call it my hometown. but mm. Interesting, isn't it? Because we're straight into it there. It's kind of that, yeah. that feeling of when you say your hometown, but you have to qualify it. And so many of us have this strange relationship with that. That question of where's home really... Uh, I think especially for you, that must be a very complex and multifaceted thing, right? It is. It's. I was thinking about this uh, the other day because I'm born and raised in Sweden. Mm. Uh, I was born in a place called Mediastad, which is just a few hours away from Gothenburg. But both of my parents, uh, my dad migrated to Sweden from Hong Kong in the 70s. And my mom, she migrated from Mumbai, India. My mom is originally from Hupe, which is the same yeah. region which Wuhan is in. Right. But she's yes, from a different yeah. city. Yeah, so I know yeah. that. There's been a lot of uh, attention for Wuhan, but honestly, it just it put us on the map, if I'm honest. And now I just have to say that and people are like, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I know oh, where yeah. that is. Yeah, like kind of like a strange way, which again, I want to dig into a strange way for people to gain knowledge of your roots or where you come from. And I imagine quite a, quite a thorny 
difficult thing in some ways. But yeah, yeah, mainland China as well. So is there an overriding one that you feel has defined you, like in terms of those different cultures? Because I'm fascinated by your mum's relationship to Indian culture, and you speak some Hindi as well, don't you? I understand Hindi, oh, so wow. I know a phrase. What is it? Hindi uh, which is, I understand Hindi, but I don't speak it. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> You can say that phrase like with like real proficiency and skill. Yeah. The person's yeah. like, okay, this conversation's over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's switch over to a language we both kind of master. You know, like when you grow up as a diaspora kid or an yes. immigrant kid. So you have one culture at home. And I, in that case, kind of had three, uh, which were which was like the Hong Kong culture and then the Indian culture and then my mom's, um, the Hupe culture, yeah. which differs a bit from the Hong Kong culture, yeah, but still Chinese. Yeah. And then you have the Swedish culture, mm. which we, which I grew up with as well. But then I also grew up in a predominantly immigrant neighborhood. Right. And Interesting. So it was just like we were a bunch of kids from all over the world, especially during the 90s with a lot of like, uh, that's when the big refugee immigration happened yeah. in Sweden. So we had people from like Somalia, from Iraq, from South America, from Ethiopia, Eritrea. And so all of these kids would, we would mix and then we would form kind of our own <laughs> immigrant kid culture. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I love that. And I think that was heavily influenced by American TV shows. Fresh Prince was a big one. <laughs> so I think like Will Smith really heavily influenced a lot of kids in the 90s in Sweden. There was definitely a thing among like young West African heritage kids mm. in the UK, especially of looking to American culture, especially in the 90s, there was a stigma attached to, to a lot of kind of like West African culture and African culture and sort. So as I found throughout the course of reporting for my book, like so many people were effectively like in the closet as Africans and either pretended to be Caribbean or American. And really? Because I had, uh, and I still have, like, family in the US, I really looked yeah. to it as well. And things like The Fresh Prince were so kind of formative and defining. And I had this real sense of, oh, no, like, that's where I want to be. And I've never really thought about the fact that that was probably linked to this idea that you talk about of slightly misfit immigrant kids kind of banding together and looking somewhere else, which was which was what you saw on the TV and what was cool and interesting and, yeah. and you know, and, and had and had a kind of culture that that was quite alluring at that time. Yeah. And it was like it was the only representation, I think, of a minority culture that was that was sort of finding their their stride and, right. and their pride yeah. as well. Yeah, of course, yeah. I think, and it was just like, because they were, he was dealing with the same issues or similar issues of otherness, of yeah. being like, you know, a kid from Philly growing yeah. up in Bel Air and, and then you have Carlton that you recognize. <laughs> yes, You're like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> You're the friend who who's trying to fit in and stuff. Yeah, I've got to say, like throughout life as well, like Carlton has been 
such a kind of useful shorthand. And obviously, like yeah. the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that there were people of the same race, but of different class and different character yeah. and things like that. And that was so huge. And I know that from your point of view, you've carried it into your comedy, that you've really sort of embraced these different labels and these different meanings of where home might be and different identities. And you've kind of played with them in a really interesting way. You know, is it Scandinavian? That is the culture that you've yeah. kind of... <laughs> almost new minted for yourself. Um, were there any other Scandinavians or was it kind of quite a lonely kind of upbringing in that sense that you didn't really see yourself reflected in the way that a lot of people do? It's interesting because I, two of my best friends, we met when we were like four or five yeah. and we're still friends now. And yeah. I remember my dad dropped me off he signed me up for the first day of like kindergarten. Yeah. And I just remember two tiny little Chinese girls just <laughs> in the corner looking at me and pointing at me. And I was like, okay, we're going to be friends. <laughs> so I was lucky in the sense that uh, I met my two best friends uh, when we were that little. I was quite lucky in that way. But then there was always this kind of sense of, there was this otherness sense mm. because even though we had our little clique, we knew that we didn't necessarily fit into the larger context of what Sweden was. So there always was that thing of of knowing that you stand out. And then, as you say, kind of having our Chinese culture is something that we talk with each other about and talk about it at home. And that's where that is. But then when we get out into kind of Swedish society, we're like, okay, we, we don't need to talk about that here in, in some strange way. I want to start with your person then. Uh, who, for you, best evokes and encapsulates that feeling? Can you kind of nail it down to one person? And is it Colton Banks? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I have two, sort of. One, it's my grandma. Uh, my mom's mom. She's quite an impressive woman, or was. It was my great-grandparents that did the migration from right. China to, wow. to India. Wow. And apparently, the person who became my grandfather, his family apparently walked. Wow. <laughs> so they walked from the middle of China to the north of India. Wow. And apparently they were like, it was kind of like a caravan traveling group. And so they made it a mission to walk, but they would stop over, stay for like a month, do some. Apparently, my great grandfather was a martial artist, so he would do shows wow. and try to get money that way. <laughs> I'm straight away thinking any time you kind of complained or misbehaved, the notion that your <laughs> that, that your ancestors literally walked <laughs> from China all the way to presumably a better life in India, you just you would just banged to rights you were just finished right that's no yeah. there's no way around that level of um be grateful so let's pick up on your grandmother what is it yeah. about her specifically that means that she is the kind of embodiment of this idea of home it's a bit of a sad story and i know that she sort of had it in her heart mm. i think for mm. ages but because she was the eldest and she was a girl she basically had to take care of her siblings, her younger siblings, while her parents went out and did work, whatever work they could do. So she didn't go to school, but she took care of her younger siblings. So her younger siblings went on to become dentists. Wow. And they then trained her 
to become like a dental hygienist, but also kind of a dentist. So she would pull teeth out of people's mouths without any training, but kind of training. And so it was just this incredible thing. And she was such a tough lady because she mm. um she just raised eight kids wow. being like a half semi-back street dentist. <laughs> and then she came to Sweden and she would do these like things where... Because she was such a sweet old lady. So yeah. when you looked at her, and she was the happiest and the kindest person I know. Yeah. Like she, she's been through so much hardship, but she was still the kindest person. Oh, amazing. What did you call her? What was her name? We called her Papa. Papa. Uh, which is, <laughs> yeah. uh, or Pobo uh, in Hupe dialect. Uh, so that's uh, grandmother oh, for her. Fantastic. It's the name for the maternal grandmother. Because oh, in wow. Chinese, we have like separate right. names. Wow, wow. And so we, she'd do these things where once I remember we were in the queue at a supermarket and the queue for the cashier was so long and she had like a walker at that point. And so she was like, follow me. <laughs> so I just followed her and she just kind of rolled up to the person who was closest in line to the cashier and just kind of like looked at her with sad eyes. And just kind of was, without words, kind of asking if she could cut. And the person was like, yeah, of course, cut, cut. And I was like, wow, wow. grandma. Like a magic power. It seems to me like it's almost like she had a sense of how people saw her and how the world viewed her and to sort of work it to her advantage. Definitely. And I'm wondering what kind of impact did she have on you and what is it that you kind of took from what she'd been through the way she carried herself that you remember kind of thinking of her and, and the way that she did things? Oh, definitely how people see you. Definitely. I think probably, and it's going to sound very corny, she had such a hard life and she came from essentially nothing. Uh, but she was always so kind and she was always, like she was smiling throughout most of us probably have experienced similar things where we talk to our grandparents or old elder family members when they remember their life. She still carried the pain of not being able to go to school. Yeah. So when she came to Sweden, you get to go to Swedish for Immigrants, which is uh, a class where they teach you Swedish. And yeah. so she went there and I remember finding her school books. It was basically her learning the alphabet and wow. writing. Yeah. And I remember being so moved by that because she'd finally been able to sort of get an education. Yeah. Um, sort yeah. of learn how to read and write because she she didn't know how to for wow. the most of her life. But I think what I took with me from that, her marriage was abusive as well. But then she took herself out of that. But through that all, she was still strong enough to be kind to yeah. a world yeah. that was so full of hardship for her. She got a bigger share of hardship than, yes, yeah, than most people. Than, than most people, yeah. But she still kind of faced it with uh, grace, I think. So I, I think that's what I take. Was it that you spent a lot of time with your grandmother? Because I know that the family, they were in the restaurant business, right? Your, your mum and dad, is yeah. that right? Was it both of them? Yeah, basically a latchkey kid, but I was looked after by my grandparents, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they put me in front of the TV, (laughs) in a way. (laughs) Yeah, hence the uh, Fresh Fresh Prince. Prince. Yeah, Yeah, hence the accent. 
Welcome back. I'm Jimmy Famarewa. You're listening to Where's Home Really? And my guest is comic and actor Evelyn Mock. We need to talk about what your plate would be, yeah. and what your, your food that, that is specifically resonant <laughs> of this idea of home and, and kind of represents a, a new form of home that you found in adulthood. What is the dish that you're going to go for? Something that's very reminiscent of my childhood, because I've been away for such a long time. So my mom, now what, that I'm actually in Sweden a bit yeah. more, my mom tends to make this for me because that's how Asian parents show love. I think maybe a lot of immigrant <laughs> parents, they show it yeah, through food yeah, and they show it through definitely. like making your favorite dishes. So there's like this Chinese dish called pearl meatballs. And so they are meatballs. Uh, I think it's maybe pork mince. And then mm. you have, you can put whatever you want in them. My mom tends to put water chestnuts and a little bit of garlic and, yeah. and some other spices. Yeah. And then you you roll it in a sticky rice. Wow. And then you steam it. And so wow. when it's steamed, like the juices from the pork just kind of covers the sticky rice and it gets wow. all like gooey and and just like really nice and juicy. So when would that dish, when would that be made, you know, as a treat for you if you'd had a tough time? Like what kind of memories that are attached to that specific dish, which sounds incredible. And I've never, you know, I've never come across it as well, I don't think. It is a bit more unusual in the restaurants, mm. I think, because it Cause is kind of a, like a home style. Yeah. A home dish. dish. Mm. It's uh, it usually you have it during Chinese New Year. Oh, fantastic! Which yeah. is really nice. I think my mom would make it for my birthday, definitely, and during like different sort of like either Chinese holidays or um, special times. Yeah. Uh, so it would be it would be a treat because it would be that thing of like, oh my god, this is my favorite thing to have. I know that she only makes it during special times. Yeah. And so whenever she would make it, it would be like, okay, I'm going to try and eat as much as I can of this one thing. <laughs> and I, I quite like the fact because then it's it, it's so symbolic of, as you say, it's that nostalgia that comes yeah. in and that kind of comfort. Yeah. It's almost like a hug that you kind of get. Was there understanding about the layeredness of of your kind of heritage and identity that there were these different forces at play and maybe you you didn't see yourself represented and you kind of felt a little bit on the periphery of things in Sweden did they kind of get that or did they not really have time to understand that i think they went through similar things but we never talked about it oh wow it, it's such an interesting thing because and especially talking about it now, because um, definitely what they couldn't give in time, they would try to give through food. So the meal, the dinner table became so important because that would be the few times where we would actually be able to be together as a family. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you ask that because my parents are retired now. And now they're starting to tell me a lot of stories about how it was to work in a Chinese restaurant during the 70s or 80s or 90s in Sweden. Yeah. And they, they were telling me about like when they first came to Sweden, how people would taunt them for their accents, uh, how working in a restaurant would be really tough because sometimes people would come in and eat and they would leave without paying. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. And, and, and so they were, they were starting to tell me all of these things. And I'm like, well, I, I was wondering why they never told me before, but I realized that because they, they just needed to get through it. 
And these experiences are probably too difficult to reflect upon while you're going through them, because then it means that either you'll want to change your situation. Yeah. Or, you know, you'll have to accept that this is the situation and you just need to get through it. So I think that that was a big realization for me because now we, I presume you as well, we have the Mm. luxury of being able to to discuss this openly with people. You obviously are very open about this stuff and you kind of play with people's perceptions in in such an amazing way, like tweaking those audience expectations, the fact that your identity, as it were, or what home means to you kind of confounds so many people. Did that come naturally? Were you always somebody who was quite different in your desire to be honest and as, as kind of raw and, you know, outspoken as you are. Like your first Edinburgh show was about losing your virginity, like kind of yeah. about like kind of, you know, losing your virginity at what some would consider to be an older age. And you kind of put it all out there. Was comedy the space that allowed you to be that person? It's interesting that because I think I have always had this kind of why. I, I've mm. always asked why. And I think mm. because my parents were this way of, I think it's a very Chinese way, actually, yeah. of kind of keep your head down and and don't really, don't ask questions, just like, just keep going and mind your own business. I somehow became the opposite, I guess, maybe because <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Sweden and it was all, it was quite encouraged to to talk about your feelings, I think. I've always been very curious and I've always wondered why our family worked so differently towards what I was seeing on TV and towards what I was seeing maybe in Swedish society. And now that I reflect back upon it, I think it's also because I'm an immigrant kid and there's a lot of intergenerational trauma that gets passed down to you without you understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like I've spent my adulthood just trying to unpack everything and understand why and understand why I'm like this and how that uh, affected me. But I do think that comedy was definitely a place where I felt that I could explore all of that, even though there's a fine line between using the stage as therapy (laughs) and actually comedy. I really want to get onto your phrase. And you've already kind of shared a few phrases in different languages. And so you've got perhaps more options than most of what your uh, (laughs) phrase that evokes home could be. But what have you gone for? I'm really fascinated to know. I would say it's the classic Chinese or Asian phrase of, ayah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it can be used in so many different ways. For people who don't really know that or aren't familiar with it how would you describe it as it's it's deployment it's meaning use it in a sentence <laughs> yeah exactly. use it in- <laughs> it, it can stand alone just ah yeah um i would say that it's it's used as an ex- exacerbation is that right, what it's called right yeah where it, but it can be used in so many ways where it can be to express frustration where it's like yeah. ah yeah if you like if some <laughs> yeah. if your kid has done something <laughs> And you're like, ah, then you can definitely just say that. Or it can be used as like, ah, yeah, where it's like, oh, damn, why did that happen? Oh, no, now I have to go and replan the whole event. (laughs) 
or something like that. <laughs> it's so a it's, really good point, though, that, yeah, kind of not quite swearing, but, yeah, expressing exasperation or frustration or annoyance. Yes. Is, yeah, can, can weirdly be, like, can make you sort of, like, uh, homesick or comforted yeah. or kind of can really like you know when I hear somebody kiss their teeth in like a queue yeah. for at the bakery as my mum would <laughs> or kind of you know quietly curse someone under their breath I'm sort of like get this weird tug of fondness I'm gonna bring it into my repertoire oh do Hi-ya. oh I'm so excited <laughs> That'd be so great. These things do kind of cross cultures in a weird way. Like, you know, like teeth kissing and Islamic, like kind of, you know, like Muslim phrases and stuff. It's really funny. It's in Sweden. Uh, There are a few like Arabic phrases that have entered the Swedish like dictionary. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just been used so much. I want to get onto your place. But I want to talk about the UK and you mentioned it there. Really falling for Britain. And maybe this is our Weatherspoons moment. I mean, (laughs) in all seriousness, what was it that really attracted you to the UK? Was it work? Was it the comedy scene? Was it something in the sense of humour? Was it a mix of all of those? It was predominantly comedy, I think. I wanted to do Mm. comedy in English. If I'm honest, I it's it's very strange because you are much closer to us than the States. But the shows that we got here... Maybe I wasn't paying attention, but the shows that we got from the UK were Neighbours and Home Far Away. Home and Away. away. They're both Australian They're both Australian, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't know much about the UK at all. So I have learned a lot. I've learned that you guys love the pub. (laughs) We really do. It's always pub time. (laughs) Have you taken on that love or do you still find it a little bit strange? Oh, okay, no. Unless it's the Weatherspoons. Come on, we've got oh to quickly God. do the Weatherspoons thing. The Weatherspoons. Um, okay, yeah. I, I will say, I love Weatherspoons. <laughs> I fell in love with Weatherspoons when I discovered Steak Club. Do you know Steak Club? When I first moved to UK, I was in Stratum. Oh, right. Yes. And yeah, we had, yeah, we far, had a local yeah. uh, uh, Weatherspoons. <laughs> and <laughs> I discovered Steak Club. Because when I moved over, I was a student um, at the University of Roehampton, but I didn't have a lot of money. And mm. Steak Club was offering a steak for like eight ninety nine at that time. <laughs> a steak should not be eight ninety nine, but yes, we'll uh, we'll just breeze past that. <laughs> yes, it's a bit tough, but yeah, it's still yeah. a steak. <laughs> Basically, I went to Steak Club every week for like six weeks. And I even took my parents when they came visiting. And I kid you not, Jimmy, they loved it so much that my dad tried to steal one of the menus from like Weatherspoons. I think specifically maybe the State Club menu. And he tried to put it in my mom's purse um, so he could take it back and show his friends how cheap it was because he did not like, he's like, they're not going to believe me. And my mom just like, she refused to put a menu into her bag, which rightly so. But so I went to State Club for like six weeks. And then at the end of the six weeks, I got pain in my toe and oh, I thought no. I'd broken it. And oh, I went to the doctor and he was like, yeah, that's not a broken toe. That's, that's gout. You've got gout. And he's like, have you been drinking a lot recently? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't drink. He's like, well, have you been eating uh, like a lot of shellfish or I'm like, no, well, what about red meat? I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> I have been eating a lot of red meat recently because it's cheap. 
<laughs> and that's that's how I got gout. <laughs> it's also known as King's disease, isn't it? King's but I, I think, you know, sort of very modest king of like a perhaps sort of like ruined uh, state that is uh, only spending eight ninety nine a time. Yeah. <laughs> that is a cautionary tale to all of us. Yes, king of the spoons. I want to get on to your choice of place. And I am guessing it is not going to be Streatham Weatherspoons. <laughs> no, it's going to be the Tottenham Ikea. <laughs> oh, amazing. This is brilliant. I was going to say uh, Hong Kong first, but then I realized Ikea is one of my favorite places. And it's probably because I've lived in London so long. But every time I go to Ikea, I just feel at home. <laughs> I'm revealing so much. Like, my family will go to Ikea just to eat, Jimmy. <laughs> no shame in it, Evelyn, honestly. <laughs> no shame. Uh, genuinely really interesting to hear from you that yeah. that speaks to your sense of of being with your family and does, missing yeah. Swedish culture. And yeah, yeah. So, so talk me through it. So you will go there to just to eat sometimes. I will say, I go there and I I will go to the Swedish market. And I'll get my special nice. like fish roe paste. I put it on crisp bread, which I also get there, and oh, uh, nice. eggs. Yeah. And then you put it on top of the eggs. And that's this classic yeah, Swedish yeah, meal. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll go around and I'll probably get like a few cinnamon buns and some Swedish candy. But then also, if I go into the store, I will take my time. And I'll also not wear my headphones. I usually just have <laughs> headphones in. And I will listen to British people try to pronounce the Swedish names <laughs> of the thing that they're buying. And then I'll just secretly in my head pronounce it correctly and then snicker to myself and feel so much more superior. And it's it's not my best quality, but I... <laughs> I enjoy doing it. It's absolutely fair enough. Because obviously, of course, there's the culture of it, really. And yeah. I think we probably not being from that environment, or if you've not got experience of living in Sweden, you probably think of it as being maybe a bit of a theme park. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, really interesting and fascinating to hear that that something in that, what is essentially a retail environment, does have this deeper emotional meaning and connection. I quite often ask the interviewee mm. if there is something in their culture that has had a really marked positive impact on British culture on, oh. and on global culture more generally. And I wonder what it is for you, because obviously you could you could answer in any yeah. number of ways. Um, is there anything that, that immediately springs to mind in terms of something that has really had an impact, whether it's food or, you know, retail or music or the arts or anything like that? It's quite interesting that because I feel like... Um, just in Britain, South South Asian culture is very big. I do feel it's strange because I, I, I have South Asian culture in my family. And so I do have like a point of pride with people enjoying South Asian food or, you know, sometimes I hear um, South Asian words that British people sometimes use um, in British culture, like the influence of just curry. When I was a kid, it definitely was the the Indian part because my mom was so heavily influential and we would wear yeah. a little... We, and I imagine it was a pride for her, right? It was, yeah. She She's really proud of being Indian. She will brag about how things are made in India, even though I'm like, I'm sure that was made 
in Egypt, like BC, but okay. We wore kurtas and we ate like chapati and sugar and, you know, we watched Bollywood films and we would know all of the songs and stuff. And then (laughs) I think Swedishness probably took over when you became a teenager because you wanted to fit in and you wanted to be part of of everybody else and be like everybody else. But I never, if I'm honest, I never probably felt like I fit into Swedish culture all the way. And probably why I became such an Anglophile, because that was what was on TV, predominantly American culture, and then the move to England. But I think in my later days now as an adult, I've embraced my Chinese-ness much more, talking with a lot of other people from the diaspora in the UK, um, and then exploring that. And I think in understanding myself, I've had to kind of face the part of me that because before my Chineseness was kind of imbued in shame almost. Yeah, um, yeah. Because as you say, you try to, when you grow up, you get mocked for it and then you try to hide that part of you. Yeah, completely. And now it's like, no, let's, let's look at this. Let's see. It was never you. It was something that was put upon you. And so yeah, let's try yeah, to shed that yeah. away and, and embrace it and, and talk about it and uh, connect, uh, connect over yeah. it with other people. And so I think uh, nowadays it's definitely the Asian part of me that's that's mm. very predominant. But it's so interesting, that question, because I realize how it's just, as you say, it's come in different shifts of your, of your life and different periods. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of other people that can relate. And I think that the other red herring is this idea that you do have to choose and you have to kind of pick a side. And that was kind of the trap that maybe we fell into as teenagers or some people do because you're like, oh no, I kind of can't. But like, it is in flux. It is this shifting thing. And that's absolutely fine, isn't it? And I'm really looking forward. Is it right that you're writing your life story in a kind of way? Are you kind of turning it into a show? Starting with the trek across continents to... uh, Yes, of course, (laughs) yeah. To India from China. In flashback, obviously. Yes, it's going to be like a slash, a cross between like The Last Samurai and, uh, and The Nutty Professor, where I play all the parts. Like Eddie Murphy, but it's going to be like a serious drama. But I play all the parts. So it's Would watch gonna, that. Would yeah. absolutely watch that. It's going to be wonderful. Evelyn Mock, thank you so much. I've loved this so much. Thank you for sharing so much of your amazing story with us for doing it with such grace thoughtfulness and wit and for also giving us that cautionary tale about the dangers of the Weatherspoon State Club I think it's an inspiring story rather <laughs> yeah whichever way you want to look yeah at it. thank you Evelyn this has been so great thank Lovely you so talking much Jimmy. To you. cheers I think what really came across for me was was yeah how she kind of navigates being simultaneously Chinese, Swedish, Indian and this enormous Anglophile who loves Weatherspoons to perhaps a dangerous degree as she revealed very memorably. Similarly, she's clearly so proud of Swedish culture and that is something that she feels a real ownership of and it kind of paved the way to the emotional openness that's been such a huge part of her comic arsenal and it's just a really really great advert for being all the different parts of yourself. So that's it. 
for this particular episode of Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa. Join me again next time for another deep dive into some unique stories from some very special guests who have their own personal interpretations of what home really means to them. And why not follow Where's Home Really on your favourite podcast platform? We'd love to hear your thoughts, so pop us a comment or leave a review. From Podimo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really, hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White. And for Listen, it's Kelly Redmond. <laughs>